1: you're listening to the archaeology podcast network
0: you have my sword and you have my bow and
2: And my my trowel hi and you're listening to episode 12 of and my trowel where we look at the fantastic side of archaeology and the archaeological side of fantasy i'm ash and i'm tilly Today, we're going to be looking at a mythical figure, a creature made from the wilds and winds who has control over creation and has an affinity with the weather. She, of course, is the kayak. Kayoch.
1: Kay- um, kayoch. Kayoch.
2: Kayoch. Kayoch.
1: kay-och. <laughs> You got it, Tilly? I'm definitely going to pronounce that wrong throughout the whole of this episode. I apologise in advance to anyone listening. I also apologise.
2: I don't have a lot of Gaelic, so I'm, I'm just going off it. Like, yeah, this is how you pronounce it. Right. So now many people might not have heard of her or know her by name, unless maybe you live in Scotland or Ireland, because she's a big figure in Celtic mythology. But you will have heard of her. So let me give you a clue. She's a giant ancestress, a mother of mountains. She sculpts landscapes with her giant steps and she drops rocks to form mountains from her wicker basket. She's one-eyed, white-haired, dark blue skin and rust-coloured teeth. She is the personification of winter, fighting off spring in an eternal battle. She is what her name means. She is a divine hag. A divine hag. So that's kayach. Is divine hag. It's kayach. Kayach is, is old woman. Actually, sometimes I mean, you can think it's actually like old crone, wise woman.
1: Yeah. So kind of like a witch.
2: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. I'm just
1: thinking of. <laughs> you knew I was going to bring it in, right, Ash? Oh god!
2: <laughs> so here <laughs> we go.
1: <Trudget's> <laughs> It's Derry Pratchett hour. Du, 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 du. <laughs> they call the wee free men are like the little, they're called pixies, Not Pixies, but Pictsies, oh, which nice. I yeah. find hilarious. We might have to do an episode on them. <laughs> and they call witches hags. Like that's their word yeah. for a witch. So I guess that's rather than like, but is it always an old old woman?
2: Always an old woman. Yes. Okay. Like for instance, my partner's grandmother will call herself a kayak. Oh, really? She's, yeah. she's like, I'm just a kayak. So she'll say that all the time or she's like I'm just a silly girl or stuff like that. Huh. So she is an older woman and so she'll refer to herself as an old woman. So if you think about a lot of European folklore traditions though, hags are usually older women who mm. have affinity with like witchcraft and nature, but they always always have sovereignty attached to them. Mm. They're respected and they're feared. Mm. But where do hags come from? What does their appearance in our folklore traditions tell us about how people interpret it, the landscape? So Tilly, have you ever read anything that features a kayak or a Divine Hag,
1: not necessarily a kayak. Ca- ca- kayak, ca- 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 and to be honest, I hadn't heard of it before. You mentioned it as well when you were saying, "Oh, we could do an episode on the kayak," ca- and I had to do a whole, "Oh, right, yeah." Mm-hmm. D- remind me again. Um- <laughs> <laughs> see, you just rolled off your tongue there. You even I know not ca- Yeah, ca- ca- just naturally, naturally born with the, the <laughs> Scottish tongue. <laughs> Technically, it was born in Scotland, although even though I have probably no Scottish heritage, so you know, we'll see. Yeah, so I haven't, I haven't necessarily read anything. I don't think that features the Kayak. but as I say, I have read the Terry Pratchett series does have a witches series in it, and they there's a lot in that about you know if you don't have respect you don't have nothing, and and the the head witch is very much feared by the locals as well, but then also has that respect of it and all this kind of thing. And I think I'm trying to think of other books I've read which have kind of fantasy elements with the with the big hat, and there's about ba- they're pretty much in nearly every kind of fantasy series, I guess. There's always some kind of Creepy old lady who <laughs> sort of is in the background, <laughs> telling things like you know what I mean in in that kind of book. Like in a, there's a certain kind of fantasy I think where that's there, and there's always sort of some it's it's but it's it's almost not necessarily respected in those in those kind of books. I feel it's just fear, but Whereas fear feel, is also
2: a type of respect in yeah. some way, a healthy m- modicum of fear.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Whereas I feel like, and I know I. <laughs> It's, the problem is there's like 25 books in that series, right? So, of course, I'm going to find something to, to get <laughs> well, them from.
2: To be <laughs> fair, though, I mean, Terry Pratchett's Discworld series does have a lot of, a lot of witches things. and hags and great hags yeah. in them. So, you know,
1: weird sisters, they are technically hags. Well, and my favourite part of those ones is that they, they can do magic and, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing but they don't a lot of the time. It's just, what's the word they use? Hedology. they use is the word. So it's basically persuading people that they're going to get better, like almost like placebo effect, basically. So yeah. they, they give them, you know, agro-sucrose or, or whatever, and it's just like water and sugar, you know, <laughs> but they, they take it and they think that it's going to be better. So it's that kind of, right. because so they, people yeah. respect them and know that they will make them better, if they give them something, they're going to make them better. And I think there's some seen somewhere where you know the the person is like really is that everything and you know it's Granny Weatherwax is going oh uh, i guess and you have to lie on a board of oak seasoned over 20 years and you know do all this thing to get there he's going, oh so the knots will go from my back to the wood and it's like oh granny had not thought of that that was a good one for later you know kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, but yeah it's it's that the whole aspect of of kind of yeah that mixture of fear and respect but then so people don't necessarily like the witches but they know they're a good thing. So I guess that's similar to the Kayak It's sort of that thing you wouldn't necessarily be like, "Oh, what a lovely person," but you know she's necessary. <laughs> she's very necessary.
2: She creates and sculpts the whole landscape that we live in. She is she's the whole point of winter and, you know, life really. Yeah, she yeah. created. But th- I think that that's an interesting thing because we look at divine hags or we look at Kayaks and we look at even like Baba Yaga and stuff you know these witches these women these wise women and we see them as a negative thing in modern society but actually they weren't it was never a negative thing so we're getting a bit feminist here but like you know of course we are are. we're feminists but you know so we see this kind of as a scary thing a hag is a scary thing you'll see them kind of characterised especially in like D&D they're usually creepy old scary women Mm -hmm. who have green skin and what and try to take children and make terrible potions and kind of trick you. But
1: I mean, that's to be not fair, a, the Kayak has blue skin and rust-coloured teeth. I mean, that's also not exactly... Yeah. It's I, not.
2: She doesn't have to be attractive. She's no. a sculptor of mountains, for goodness sake. But that's like, true. you know, but that's how I think it's changed, and that's because of the heavy influence of the patriarchy as well. Mm-hmm. So these women were highly respected. Well, they were in modern society as well, hags. Like, you know, they're wise women. They're also midwives, doctors, things like that. Anyone that, Any woman that has, you know, Some kind of power, power or
1: knowledge, I guess. Yeah. yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. But they do relate to their landscape. They always relate to nature. They always relate mm. to the wider world. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have a favourite depiction of a of a kayak or a, a a divine hag
1: i mean it probably is to be honest <laughs> the, the the terry pratchett witches i think that's the closest that i would come because indeed it is and like you say they relate a lot to the landscape to the land to an understanding even the first book that they're introduced in weird sisters and it's all about the kingdom is unhappy with the current king it's sort of a play on hamlet and yeah, so, so it's talking about the landscape and how the animals react, but also the trees and the mountains and everything. And they sort of talk about how all the different growing stages of the different aspects of the landscape and everything and how that's related, which I think is really interesting, you know, to actually go into that detail of, of that kind of thing. I'm trying to think if there was a... Is there like a, a witch in... A female witch in Lord of the Rings? No. I don't think there is, right? I'm trying to think. I haven't read well, The Silmarillion and stuff, so I don't know if no, there is any in the in the I kind know. of by stories, <laughs> so to speak. But I'm trying to think, and I feel like in that one, because that would be one where it's always a male figure kind of being the the
2: the, the wise winter and character wise winter, landscape. Powerful. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, which is interesting. Well, in Lord of the Rings, it seems like the Astari, the the kind of wizards who include Gandalf and Saruman, mm-hmm. Radagast uh, and the blue wizards, they're all men. They, yeah. they, they don't see, because they have the bodies of men, men being colloquial for humans. Mm-hmm. But he did use that word and then referred to it, you know, as men. But it's, it seems that generally it seems like tolkien's conceived all the kind of magical beings as male mm. in that sense so any kind of sovereignty figure that we have a wise and older person they're mm. they're all men in in tolkien which is but interesting is right only,
1: because like you say yeah. in, in folklore it's there's a lot about women like wizards aren't really a thing in folklore are they
2: you get not really. I mean, there's right. definitely magical users who are men. I yeah. mean, it doesn't it doesn't really have a agenda to it. They for from the well, I'm thinking of Scottish mythology and Irish mythology. Mm-hmm. You have you do have magical users, but you also have magical users who are tricksters, and sometimes they're they're usually men,
1: right? Yeah, so they're kind of these like immortal
2: masculine spirits and stuff that you get. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he's con- kind of gone into that a little bit mm. more but a lot of the kind of folklore mythology that Tolkien uses is interesting because yeah they're, they're not really I always think actually well I always think of the blue men and the uh, blue wizards and bl- we have blue men in Scotland mm-hmm. um, but they're usually associated with the sea so it's just interesting mm. that you you look at these different kinds of Magic identities, mm. <laughs> um, and then yeah, Tolkien's kind of gone a totally different way from it. But that also reflects the, the the time that he's writing in. Yeah, because he is writing about wars as well. That his whole thing is about World War One, isn't it? And his experiences right. and stuff. So it will be a very male dominated front line kind of n- yeah narrative that doesn't necessarily but also there's only like two women
1: right have you seen that <laughs> there's some there's some video about like oh, i can't remember what it is it's like here's a video of all the times that a woman speaks to another woman in the lord of the rings films and you've got like a two-second clip where that little girl goes where's mama and eowyn goes "Shh," and that's yeah. it <laughs> the end <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, wish, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's the outside stories as well, where he talks. You know, it's mm. about him and his wife and, and their love and
1: all that kind of stuff. But yeah, 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 yeah. it's not crazy. But no, but, no, so it's but that's difficult. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting, indeed, how the different and actually that's referenced a bit in the Terry Pratchett one too, because you also have wizards in Discworld and witches, mm. and there's a lot of like the witches think that wizards are just pompous old fools in their university who don't actually know how the world works and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Whereas the wizards think that the witches are just, you know, common hags who, you know, can't deal with the bigger magics and only deal with sort of hedge witch, you know, (laughs) magic. So I guess, and I guess there is, right? There's that sort of... Mm-hmm. Association in modern fantasy of that, like a a woman, like a caliche which But then you say she moves mountains and things. I mean, that's powerful magic to oh, me. No, but, yeah. but yeah, I guess you would. You still have in a lot of modern fantasy books. It's more the witch is more kind of she'd be a sorceress if you know if if she's really powerful. But just sort of the old hag, the old lady witch is has a bit of a different connotation. I would say.
2: Yeah, and you have got to remember the kayak. She is winter she is the landscape she yes. is the creator of things so like she creates she does create mountains and she literally like will use the landscape as stepping stones and as she moves the landscape like she creates it with her feet oh. she also calls in winter because she has certain things that she'll do certain rituals so she'll collect firewood and if an extra day she's still collecting firewood on a certain day in spring you know that winter is like still going. Um, uh, okay. or vice versa, you know. She also has stuff where, you know, she's got this big plaid cloth and you must wash it. She must wash it. And it takes three days to wash. And only then will she call in winter. Uh, once it's nice and white and pristine. Okay. Um so the stuff like that that it's it's very much rooted in folklore. It's rooted in people's traditions and people how they're moving around the landscape and how they're interpreting th- in that landscape through a divine being. Mm-hmm. So, Tilly, mm-hmm. that brings us to our quest today. <gasps> <Excited. laughs> so I woke up this morning, foul mood, obviously, <laughs> feeling extremely cold. I could see my breath crystallizing on the air. I was shivering in my doovie. And I dragged myself out of bed, opened my curtains, and saw that there was a thick layer of frost <gasps> outside, everywhere, covering the back garden. I'm going to look closely. There was actually a herd of deer staring back at me from the recesses of the gloomy trees. But in the center of the frost lay a great, dark, plaid wad of fabric. No, oh. I'd heard stories like this before. I've just told you the story. And I feel like the kayak had clearly visited me in the dead of night and she gave us a task to complete. Okay. okay. So I took on some boots. I went outside, grabbed my the great old dirty plaid and on top there was a note that said bera left her plaid at home it needs to be washed take it to the cauldron so she can usher in winter again signed Botok
1: but hang on i mean it's it is nearly spring isn't it
2: oh yeah that's a good point But honestly, my toes were freezing and I'm really not sure. I want to invite the wrath of the kayak on our heads. So I think we have a mission. (laughs) We have to traipse across the landscape, find this cauldron, deliver the winter plaid to the kayak. But first, as archaeologists, we need to find and figure out where in the world she might be. But before we go into more detail on that, let me just consult my rune stones and we'll be back with you soon.
0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
1: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year,
2: Welcome back. So I looked at the runes, and it seems to me and Tilly that the most interesting way we could approach finding the kayak is through landscape archaeology. Specifically, we can look at both the natural and cultural environment to help us in our search. But what is landscape archaeology? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Landscape archaeology is a multidisciplinary approach to archaeological theory. So it looks at the way people in the past constructed and used their environment around them, such as a site's relationship between material culture, human activity, land and cultural modifications to the site, and the natural environment around it, too. Okay. Yeah. Landscape archaeologists, they look at these choices people make about how and where to live and what types of settlements or buildings they build and what types of food they can grow and eat. So we'd be looking at two things that impact each other, the natural environment, topography and climate and soils, while also looking at the cultural world created by humans, such as place names, Uh customs, traditions that are central to these landscapes. So to make it simple... We're looking for areas of natural and cultural landscape importance that the kayak has had an impact on. And so we follow that trail.
1: But hang on. okay. so this might sound a little bit silly, but like when you say landscape, so you mentioned like uh, names and stuff. But I mean, isn't landscape just kind of mountains and trees and things? Oh, yeah, I see. Okay, I got ahead of myself there. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're correct. So all
2: these things include the landscape, definitely. But also the place, it's the place, right, where we as humans choose to inhabit. So where you are right now, listening to us listeners, that is part of your landscape. It has meaning because you are there. The landscape archaeologists begin every investigation with the principle that the landscape was and is meaningful. So you have chosen to be there, to build and live there because of the conjunction between nature and culture. That
1: is our landscape. So do you mean like the particular region, so like my street or would it be like my house or my room? Like how big or how small is it?
2: It's really a spatial kind of thing. So yeah, all of that. So okay. you'd look at the larger landscape, which is the place you are in. So like mm. the county you're in, why you're there. Then you kind of narrow it down and we look at the more spatial aspect of stuff. So why are you in this these four walls right now? What activities are you doing within these four walls? And you can kind of trace people's steps and how they go about their life through landscape archaeology.
1: Okay. And like, because, so for example, at the moment, I'm living in a house that my husband's grandparents built like so there's is the landscape is it also time dependent like would my definition of landscape this is getting very deep (laughs) like (laughs) would my definition of landscape be different to their definition of landscape or is it only the physical thing like how 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 linked is it to the people or to the place if that makes sense
2: it's intertwined. So yeah, okay. okay. Landscape changes. And that's because society changes, the meaning changes, but it's still meaningful. So why you choose to, you know, live in your landscape is maybe not the same reason why, you know, your Michael's grandparents or mm. why the Neolithic people chose to live there, but mm. they are still both interconnected because you still inhabit that space.
1: Mm. right. Does that, like... Sorry, I keep asking questions. No. <laughs> I like it. Go I'm genuinely it. interested in this because I haven't really... I, I did, like, one module on landscape archaeology when I was in my undergrad, but it's not really something that I've gone into in a lot of detail. And I know that you have more experience in this. So I'm taking the opportunity into <laughs> it. I don't think I have much more experience. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you did landscape stuff. But it's sort yeah. of that... Because I guess it's that idea of... Because you mentioned sort of Neolithic and the landscape, but is it still... Basically, would someone... Who's, so, for example, the Kalach. Would someone who lives in that region and understands it, the the landscape, but has no real understanding of the history or the folklore, how would their interpretation be more or less appropriate? I guess is the word I'm using. Then, for example, someone who doesn't really know the landscape but knows a lot about the folklore and the and the stories about the Kalach and that side of it. Like, how much of it is is based in the actual physical part? Do you know what I'm trying to say?
2: <laughs> well, I suppose, I mean, both are interesting concepts, but if you're mm. living in the physical landscape, you understand it more than when you don't. Okay. Right, because you know the paths you know the, the way the nature works around you, you know what animals and how, what plants and flora and fauna grow but that means you're interacting with it on a different level than someone who doesn't live in the landscape so it's kind of similar to, you know, you talk about community building and where archaeologists go into different communities we need to have an understanding of that community and we need the community on our side because they're important because yeah. they live in that landscape so that's part of landscape archaeology for someone who knows about the area and and you know has never been the best thing to do is to do walkovers so for if you're trying to find a site you know it's sort of in this area you're not too sure what you can find you know there was activity though because someone maybe sometime found something like a hammer or -hmm. something in the landscape then what you do is you do like a walkover survey and you tag any sort of site that you think might be of importance. And that could just literally be a lump in the ground and you think, mm, looks like a stone. <laughs> but uh-huh. why is it there? There was a line of stones. So that looks like a little bit of a dwelling of some kind. So you'd put a tag in it and then we'd come back and start looking at it and plot these things. And that's how you can start to understand the landscape and how people moved around it. Does that answer your question? It does, it does. Yeah, hmm. yeah.
1: Cool. So, so I guess in terms of the Kralach, it would have to be we'd need to know about the stories about her because you mentioned... The one thing I could remember from what you mentioned earlier was that she dropped stones to make mountains. So I guess following a mountain range would be a good way to start. <laughs> or am yeah. I am I thinking too literally now?
2: <laughs> no, you are. That's exactly what it is. So place names, right? Mm-hmm. So place names mean that people associate those areas with her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or with something. So, for example, in Scotland, the, the kayak is often found in Argyle and Bute. Why? Okay. She must like it a lot. I don't know. So <laughs> so you look at Ben Kurukin, the tallest mountain in the region, she, she is there, right? Then mm-hmm. she also created Loch Or, according to the folklore. So, mm-hmm. you know, she was, before anything survived, she was tending sheep, she loves sheep, she loves animals, and she fell asleep. And then the well that was in the landscape oh. overflowed oh. and created the first river and loch. It's because she fell asleep. She was just doing her thing. She was walking around in the landscape, creating it accidentally. (laughs) And yeah, and that's how stuff happens. And that's how things are made. Ben Nevis, uh, heard from someone uh, on the trail, is her mountain throne.
1: Oh, good.
2: And on Isle of Skye, Ben Nachayach, that's the hill of the old woman, uh, and that's near the coolant. So she inhabits those areas. She likes to go around those areas. These are her haunts. So when uh. we're walking around, what we can do is we can go and knock on people's doors yeah. and ask them, Where's the kayak been? Yeah.
1: Or well, what's that mountain called? Yeah, is that <laughs> ben a the kayak. Ah, I think we're close. <laughs>
2: yeah. And some guy would be like, Well, actually, yeah, I saw a big foot go past my door this morning. <laughs> you know? <laughs> she says in a very Geordie accent
1: instead of a Scottish accent we're, we've got a bit further south we're, yeah. we're she's also in Northern Newcastle England. did yeah.
2: you know that? <laughs> God, she goes up and down the breadth of the country well and actually but, uh, I was going to
1: yeah. ask that so she mentioned we've been talking about places in Scotland but you mentioned she's quite big in Celtic mythology so is she also in like Ireland and Wales and stuff as well? she's definitely in Ireland I'm
2: not too sure about Wales actually but she's definitely in Ireland there's many archaeological sites that are related to her so wedge tombs mm-hmm. such as Labakali and Longcrew, County Meath, and uh, passage tombs as well called the Kayaks Mountain. And she tends to inhabit these passage tombs, these cairns. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're often locally known as haunts for her. And so people will go to these areas and still, pref- even to this day, perform certain rituals. There's one in, I believe, Dumfries, where she resided with her husband, Botok, which means old man, <laughs> and... Basically, they used to go in, and all of her children would go in, and that's where they would live, and they'd have a fire. But there's stones on the outside. So in winter, they make sure that people, the local landscape, make sure that the stones have been moved to the outside so she can get in. Oh, okay. And then in summer, they move the stones back inside.
1: Yeah. Oh, so it really is. Even if she hasn't done stuff herself, the way other people interact with the landscape is directly representative of how whether or not yeah. she's there. Oh. Yeah. Cool. So,
2: we could find these tombs mm-hmm. <laughs> and see if anything has moved and changed around it. Oh,
1: clever, clever. Okay, yeah. okay. okay, okay. So, yeah, basically, just it's almost like a big, a big scavenger hunt (laughs) yes following being like right here's a big a big loch like a big lake let's see are there sheep around (laughs) like maybe she was sleeping or something i mean i know that happened a while ago but like or you know that kind of thing and then chatting to people a lot and asking about their experience of the landscape
2: yeah exactly so yeah we could you know we've already knocked on a few doors and then we could knock on a few more doors and then a guy's like well actually weird enough that lock over there wasn't there before (gasps)
1: <gasps> oh. And you're
2: like, all oh, right, we're on the trail now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're following her through the landscape. But lots of, yeah, place names are really, really important in this. So anything that you find that has the kayak's name attached to it is her dwelling in some way.
1: Okay. Yeah. Or even not necessarily cut, but anything related to old woman, old hag, <laughs> All, like something, something along those lines. I guess.
2: Exactly. So a lot of the times when you, especially on uh, in the Isle of Skye, when hikers are walking around the coulins and stuff, that's actually her, her place. That's where she goes. This is her landscape and her her home you know uh. even though she creates the landscape so we are interacting with folklore and we're also interacting with the landscape kind of archaeological record in that place because people are inhabiting it and they're interacting with the landscape in not necessarily even a domestic way but in different activities uh. that's how I think that's the best way to try and track it down the kayak
1: yeah definitely oh that's really cool i like that one
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay fab so i think we've sort of figured out how we're going to do it Mm -hmm. and we've been walking around we've been chatting to other people Mm -hmm. we've been getting place names and we've been looking at the landscape Mm -hmm. so we stumble upon an ancient cairn and it sits before us as we approach the frosted glen crunches under our boots our noses sting with the cold emanating from a crumbling dwelling. And even as we approach, the unnatural blue flame inside flickers across the lynching encrusted stones.
1: We're scared. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, fear. It's the fear. <laughs> it's the dose of fear.
2: <laughs> Emerging from the electric depths, a woman appears, firewood in hand, her face a deathly blue. And as her lone azure eye stares at us. Huh. Well, do you have my washing? <laughs> the kayak
1: says. <laughs> the fear got a little bit, got her a bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, she's, I'm, I'm not very good at Scottish accents. <laughs> her voice biting into us like hail on your cheek. Oh, good work. Shaking, I hold out the plaid to her. The still dirty plaid. But something in Tilly's mind stirs. <gasps> Ooh, so, something in my mind is stirring. <laughs> I'm Tilly. I'm uh-huh. going to have to ask you... To roll an insight check. Oh, okay.
1: okay. Uh, it's a 16.
2: Oh, you've passed the insight
1: check. Whoa. Oh, goodness. <laughs> a very <slow laughs> Would have been insight, a very short but... episode otherwise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly have this thought. Hang on, Ash. It's nearly spring. So if you give the color her winter plaid, she'll wash it and bring in winter again.
2: Oh, the kayak grins caught out. You have passed the old hag's test. Fighting against the call of spring, she thought to wash the winter plaid again until it was white as fresh snow, urging in another winter storm. You have successfully thwarted the kayak's icy plan. (laughs) She congratulates you on not being fooled by her or her trickster husband,
1: Botok, and gifts you a piece of her firewood. Oh, I get it now. Yeah, honestly, the insight check didn't help too much because I was still there going, but wait, why wouldn't she watch it? I'm like, right, got it. Got it. Now I understand. Oh, wait, okay, I get it now. now yeah, I you do.
2: just have like a tingling, spidey sense feeling. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just
1: I'm naturally smart, even though I don't realize it myself.
2: You're just intuitive. You just get people. Uh, yeah,
1: luckily, someone's <laughs> written it all down for me so I can just read it out. <laughs>
2: I wonder who that was. the narrator, family. Um,
1: <laughs> okay, good. Well done. Well done, us.
2: <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, that's about it for this episode of Am My Trial. I hope you enjoyed this quest. If there's any suggestions that people have for an episode that they've gotten from a fantasy book or have an archaeological concept that they don't understand that we might be able to help through fantasy or something in a book that they want to find out more about from an archaeological viewpoint, do get in contact via email or social media. All contact info, as well as references and further reading for all the points we've discussed today can be found in the show notes.
1: Oh, wow, Ash, look at the sky.
2: Oh, my God, that's
1: beautiful. What is it? I don't know, but I think we're going to find out.
0: This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland.